Hi, I'm Dan Wilton, CEO of First Mining Gold. First Mining is developing two of the largest uh, gold projects in Canada, our Spring Pole Gold Project in Ontario and our Duparquet Gold Project in Quebec. Tom, good to see you. Good to see you. Good Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And um, you're here to do what? Uh, here meeting with uh, with investors and uh, followers and supporters and on our way to a conference uh, on the continent next week. Right. Okay. Obviously, difficult times at the moment, but how are people reacting to um, the two projects that you've got? What are, what are they expecting from you? Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, we put up the PEA on Duparquet, yeah, I guess in September. Mm. Um, and I think it's been met with, uh, I mean, not a lot of reaction, to be honest. It's been pretty pretty muted. Um, I think, uh, you know, what we wanted to show with that PEA was that this is another project that we have in this portfolio, 200,000 ounces plus potential production per year, you know, located in the most sought after gold district in the world, in the Abitibi. Uh, and I think, you know, we're, we're quite happy with the economics that uh, came out of it. It's an almost 600 million NPV on a 700 million Canadian capex. But when you look around the world, for projects yeah. of that size and scale, you can't build anything in this industry that can produce 200,000 ounces a year for 500 million US. Like it's just, this project really for us, really sort of, uh, really sets aside. So I mean, you're right. In terms of um, scale projects, there's few far between yeah. at, at the moment out there. Yeah. Um, there's not many of you and there's not many behind you quite right. at the moment. Um, but you, you look at that kind of cost environment um, that people are trying to build into, and, and there's a kind of dawning realization there might be a new reality to where that kind of cost baseline sits at the moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How do you, how do you manage that in a, an environment where gold is quietly, accretively moving? Um, do, do, do investors buy that? Do funders buy that? Well, I think that's the big question right now uh, around all development projects is, oh, what's the capital risk? And for, you know, our projects are big projects. And for a hundred million market cap company, you know, we're not going out to raise 800 million of equity to build a project tomorrow. We don't need to raise that money tomorrow, by the way. Um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, the cost, the cost curve is creeping up as it continues to do. I think what that's going to show you is that the gold price is going to continue to creep up as well. Um, you know, we're going to see margins in this industry, but the one thing is certain is that the existing projects that have been built that, you know, maybe have been operating for 10 plus years, they're getting lower grade, they're getting higher costs, they're getting longer in the tooth. And what a lot of people forget in this industry is that once those reserves are produced, like they're produced, they're, they're gone. It is an extractive industry. And the industry has not done a good job at developing new projects or, you know, even had success in replacing those reserves often with their own exploration or development programs. So the day is coming when projects like ours, you know, sizable in tier one jurisdictions are going to be really highly valued again. They haven't been because people have been concerned about this capital risk, but I also think I think we've seen the worst of the of the you know the inflation risk in the capital, and you just have to look at a couple of projects that started being built after COVID. So everyone points to Cote and Magino, these capital cost overruns, or at, at Valentine, you know, some of that was just supply chain in COVID. But if you look at Equinox Gold, for example, you know it's delivering a 1.2 billion project more or less on time and seems to be on budget. So 
Um, yeah, I think I think we're kind of past the worst of the of the cost inflation for this. If we're not saying in terms of low grade, I mean the average grade is what one point at Equinox, no, one point one point three, I think. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. One of their crosses. Oh yeah, no. I, when you look at at Mesquite, yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, you okay? Talking of talking of on the money side of things, you've just announced that you are raising. What are you up there? Raised to 10? about ten million? Yeah, we announced five, and uh, well, we've closed on eight, and have a, yeah. two. Yeah, have another two coming in in a couple of weeks. That's for. I think so. Yeah. Where's that coming from? Mostly existing shareholders, uh, one or two new institutions that uh, have come in, in in reasonable size, but it's mostly just existing shareholders, management and board, you know, I think showed strong support. Uh, Keith Newmeyer, our chair, putting in more than a million dollars. Yeah. You know, I've written a pretty sizable check myself, <laughs> my third sizable check in here. So, um, you know, I think strongly supported by the team. And then, you know, it really is existing investors who see this and no one likes the price that we're raising at, but people see this as an opportunity to increase exposure, average down, and take advantage of where we are in this market, knowing that our catalysts are just kind of coming around the corner. So it's kind of interesting to me when when existing shareholders follow. It means they have faith, they they, they trust in the in the fundamentals. So obviously keeping yourself, you'd expect, but you know, they but you'd kind of like. Could I say, well, are, you, are we drinking the Kool Aid, or is it, is, it, is it based on some something more than that? I mean, so just remind people why you think I'm going to put my money. I guess you already have enough shares. It, Lots of yeah, yeah, yeah. Why keep going? What 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 are you believing in? Oh, because I think we are at a point where, as I said before, these projects are we're turning the corner in the industry to where these projects are going to be the scarce commodity. Um, and right now they're, you know, no one has much appetite to fund these things. They're unloved in the markets as, as is reflected in our valuation metrics. But, you know, as we've said at first mining reversion to the mean, if we just trade like an average developer, you know, that's a five to 10 X return from where we are right now. And we're hitting milestones, right? We're maybe 5% done a feasibility study. We're submitting our final EA document middle of next year. And targeting EA approval in 2025, like that's now less than two years away. So like pretty near-term catalyst for what we think are going to be substantial re-rating opportunities. Right. Okay. And it, again, looking at the, the cost of money may seem expensive now, but I guess hopefully in a year's time, it feels like genius. So we, we've seen that a few times. <laughs> um, so in terms of the allocation of that capital, what, yep. why, why have you raised it? What's it? So really, priority number one is in finishing this uh, final environmental assessment document that we're aiming to submit next year. There's still, you know, a fair amount of work that needs to happen on that. Uh, it's funding the consultation costs with the Indigenous communities that we're working with around the project. Um, we have already have some money for exploration in Quebec and should have some news releases out over the course of the next couple of weeks that demonstrate I think some of the really interesting potential at Duparquet, where we know that we're going to be able to expand this resource. It's sitting at, you know, three and a half million ounces M&I right now, two and a half million of inferred. You know, what do we think that can get up to? Well, you know, we think eight to 10 million is not a stretch. Right. So, you know, lots of excitement coming out on on that project. Right. And then, because I just I want to sort of talk about strategies that are the companies employ. Some would say it's better in a market like this where no one really gives a 
you know what, mm-hmm. about what's going on at the moment, is sit back, do nothing, don't advise, don't spend the money, yep. don't blow your GNA. Yep. Like, just, just, just wait. You're not. We're not. No, we're not. Why is that important? It's important because when the market turns, there are going to be very few projects that are capable of being built in, let's call it a 2026 to 2030 timeframe. We've always said we want to have these projects ready for when the industry needs them the most. That time of industry needing those projects the most, we think, is rapidly approaching. So, you know, you can either sit back, um, but sitting back has real costs, right? It can really impact your social license to develop a mine. It impacts sort of where we are to stop a, a permitting process or backtrack on an environmental assessment process. You know, that can have, it can add years to the development time because uh, you end up having to stretch out, you know, more environmental baseline work and you end up having to stretch out, you know, more of your GNA that you have to continue to cover uh, in, in making those milestones. So for us, we are driving, you know, full speed toward this environmental assessment approval. And it's in large part with Springpool because, you know, it's that deposit under the lake and, you know, our value has reflected kind of the market's disbelief that we're ever going to get there. When you know you're going to get to the final, uh, the, the finale in the uh, environmental assessment process, you know, you know you're going to get that ability to permit and, and develop the mine, um, you know, I think you just got to drive on. You got to hit that milestone. Okay. And then can I just, again, just on timing, I'm always fascinated when, when the companies raise money. They're clearly, no one expected this trough to be so deep. Yeah. And for so long, uh, it has been. But you, you can add a layer of complexity there potentially by raising during tax loss season. Yeah. But it hasn't affected you. Uh, no, it certainly hasn't affected, you know, our ability to raise money, it affected probably the price that we were able to raise it at. Um, which, you know, as said, well, none of us are really happy about the dilution that we're taking, but given that it's mostly being taken up by existing shareholders and real supporters. And, and by the way, it's like, this isn't five shareholders. This is, I think we've got like a hundred subscribers in this offering. It's really broad based. And so, you know, I'm just absolutely delighted with, uh, and humbled by the support that the shareholders have expressed for us in in getting to the to the finish line here like we've got you know we've got a group of shareholders that really you know understands and believes where we're going right okay so you, and I, I just want to get into the kind of um you've got a bunch of deliverables coming 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 through obviously and each one of those i think they used to be called catalyst but <laughs> we, could, we could forget that phrase yeah it's just a case of like moving along a timeline to, to get in a position where you permission to build you've yep. got a license to build this thing out um do you still feel that you were the guys to do that or it has it been such a long arduous journey that perhaps strategic investors time for them to come in you know get pass it past that problem onto someone else because kind of that because you know to get the yeah. long curve is yeah 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 expensive yeah. lull again we're another lull while you kind of get into some sort of build phase and so, I mean, how are you viewing the future now? Has as as the last three years worn you down any? Well, I mean, you know, I'd be lying if I said it doesn't. Uh, it's not a grind. Like we've been in facing headwinds in this industry, with the exception of about three months. Certainly, for the five years that I've been the CEO of this company, we've had about three months of tailwind in wow. 2020. You know. Yeah. Uh, I remember the days in my banking career when it was like 2004 to 2011 was, 
at least six years of tailwind there, right? Uh, we'd like to be in a position where there is momentum, but you also have to have the projects ready to be able to capitalize on that momentum. So, you know, it's something, listen, we're, we're talking to a number of bigger companies or a number of people who look at both of our, our key projects. Yeah. Um, I think there's some real strategic interest there. It's just always that delicate balance of how far can we advance it in order to get, you know, hopefully start to see that value showing up in our share price uh, versus, you know, bringing in more capital to kind of take the project further. So I think we're open to yeah. all of these different types of alternatives, whatever is going to deliver the best value. But you're we're going to get a better outcome for the shareholders if we are, you know, another year, 18 months down the track, uh, have our final EA submitted or have, you know, our final EA approvals, right. um, you're just, you're going to be able to attract better capital and probably a better, at a better cost account. And the only reason I ask is because I'm looking out there in the marketplace and like some CEOs heads are down and we've got like a marathon caliber M&A uh, recently. And there's a whole bunch of kind of conversations that have happened but haven't concluded because yeah. it is I can agree there's a few M&A projects people can point at and it's a case of how much control do you feel you have and I, I, I guess the, the recent raise gives you a lot of confidence that people understand the story will be in a risk off environment they understand the story enough to get behind it yep. and perhaps that kind of helps you kind of move forward but that, that's, that's the reason I ask is like you know where's your where's the board's head at with regards to this project has been like too long it's too hard and we need some help or actually we're still in control here boys yeah no i think and i think we are i think we've got a great team that can take it at least through to that environmental assessment approval and kind of the permitted approval so um you know we have the team we have shareholders that are you know demonstrated that shareholders are there backing us and supporting us to get there uh we're going to need a bit more capital to get to the you know to the ea approval but we still have a number of cards up our sleeve, right? That's a beauty of this portfolio that we have. And we still own 20% of, uh, of the Hope Brook project. Uh, we still own 30% of Pickle Crow. We still own our Cameron project. So there's lots of other things in the portfolio that as the market improves, those open up other kind of funding alternatives as well. So We'll continue to, you know, move forward with uh, some of those other potential funding alternatives and, you know, just keep going until we get to a point where there's something that makes sense, either, you know, bringing in a partner or if we're in a different uh, capital environment, you know, if we're trading at a five or 700 million market cap, then you can make a different decision about your ability to finance and build the project yourself. Of course. And, and to, talking, we're talking, this will go the market a little bit. So, yeah. Okay. Because I, I was speaking to the CEO of Alice Gold, of uh, Collective, and Ari, and they've kind of got a good read, they feel, of, of the market and where it's going. And it's a question of, okay, we get into recession, how does gold react? We now are used to that. Like, how does it react this time around? Is it a softer landing in which case, you know, how does gold react to that? See, your sense of the markets at the moment look, look like what? I think we are sitting in a position where you have potential to see gold up, you know, 25 to 50% in the next year. I think, you know, the fact that we're at, you know, um, call it cyclically high interest rates, um, 
and you've still got the gold price hanging in at 2000 typically as rates decline, you would see gold prices rise. So I think the fact that we we're, where we are right now sets a very, very bullish floor for the gold price to run. And so, you know, it's the other thing when you talk about real catalysts for us, a gold price rising, I mean, one of the key features as to why people want to own first mining gold is the leverage that these big projects give you to the gold price, right? So spring pool, the fundamental value, the net asset value of the project goes up $150 million for every $100 in the gold price. You know, Duparquet is about another 100. So let's call it 250 million, which by the way, our market cap is 100. But that's the fundamental value leverage to a $100 increase in the gold price. So you start doing, you know, where should developers trade uh, in a $2,500 gold price environment? And if developers are trading at, uh, you know, 0.5 times NAV, as they have historically, you can see some pretty phenomenal potential returns inside first mining, like well in excess of 10x, right? So the leverage is there. And I think we're coming into an environment where the gold, the gold price, I think, has done its job. It's a good, a good environment for gold producers. They're generating mostly record free cash flow. People forget that this is an industry that's never really <laughs> free cash flow, right? But they're generating enormous free cash flow, probably the best ever. And, uh, and their projects are, you know, reserves are declining every day that they mine, right? So it has to come back to the developers at some point. Okay. And the, the, the kind of, just stick, stick with the macro for a second, the, the, the role, of, role of precious metals, because, you know, silver has a bit of a role. And I, I know people want to sort of, you know, associate with industrial uses as well, but it still has a role within, within the, uh, the economy in terms of precious metal. Gold, do you think things will revert back to the way they were in the way that gold's role in, in the market, gold's um, perceived role for, for governments, yeah. for individuals, et cetera? Can it, can it get back to where it was or is there sort of a new paradigm that we're having to deal with here? No, I think we're already there. I yeah. think we're already there. Just look at what central bank purchases of gold have been like over the last, you know, 24 months. You have a large portion of the world that is accumulating gold reserves and basically getting rid of U.S. dollar reserves, right? This is, I think, when you're coming to kind of a, you know, a two-polar world here, um, you've got a whole group of countries, particularly BRICS, that I think are anchoring to a new financial system. And I think gold is a fundamental part of that, is going to be a fundamental part of it. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think gold's doing its job. I think it's a big liquid market of the one thing that everyone trusts that if you have an ounce of gold, you have an ounce of gold. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah, because I think the, the, these slight distractions we've had over the last five years between you know, cannabis and then we've got Bitcoin, which is, you know, again, and the anti-fit kind of current, um, rhetoric, yeah. which we use. BS is more about, actually, I want to make some money. <laughs> Interesting, and uh, you know, and then of course the uh, you know we we do have to deal with COVID. So it hasn't been a sort of normalized market for a long time mm. in the minds of uh, retail investors, for sure. Yeah, but gold. Yeah, you've got lots of it. Yeah, and if you can get it out of the ground, you'll get the people will get the leverage. You will get the leverage. Investors will get the leverage. Here. Let's just just again want to remind people about how many big projects there are today, 
how many big projects there are coming up behind. Yeah. It's not a case of like lithium market. We're going to flood the market with lithium. Yeah. Gold, where are we in terms of the supply side? Yeah. So we mostly track projects in Canada uh, as kind of our comparable projects. Uh, if you take out the projects that are in construction right now, that over the course of the next 18 to 24 months will be built, um, we've got two of the 10 largest undeveloped gold projects in Canada. Um, a number of those are owned by majors uh, or larger gold mining companies. Um, there aren't that many of those that you can invest in. And if you look at the ones that you can invest in, today and where they are on environmental assessment process, let's say, as a benchmark for permitting, you know, we would be one of the most advanced projects in there from an EA perspective. It's basically your Springpole project and Skeena with, um, with their project in BC, both targeting EA approval 2025. What's interesting, I think they're grandfathered under the, under the 2012 Environmental Assessment Act, as are we. Um, for new projects coming up that were that were started or put into the EA process after 2019 federally, they're under the you know the new uh, Impact Assessment Act. Well, that's been challenged constitutionally in Canada right now, and no one really knows what the process is because they kind of have to go back and reshape that process. So I think that's inevitably going to add more time. If you look at what can actually potentially be built between 2026 and 2030, uh, you're in like, there's three projects, maybe, you know, maybe. And ours stacks up pretty well on like all of the metrics, you know, look around the world. Where can you find projects that can produce more than 300,000 ounces a year that you can build for less than a billion dollars? The answer is there's not, right? Not in tier one jurisdictions anyway. So I think we're sitting in a really, really good position. And then, you know, with some other very interesting optionality coming out of our, of our Duparquet project as well, in that, you know, what we've scoped was a 15,000 ton per day uh, mine, but there is a smaller, higher grade resource there too, sitting in the middle of a district that has, you know, like 10 mils within 150 kilometers of the project. Mm. So maybe we don't need to build a mill, right? Maybe just having a big, high-grade resource gives you some flexibility to do things a bit different. Yeah, interesting time. Lots of options. Absolutely. Absolutely. You too. Uh, good afternoon, um, And uh, here and in Europe. Outstanding. Thanks very much.